Give to God first, pay yourself second, and live off the rest. I call it the 10-10-80 financial plan. I know it works because it's based on biblical financial principles. I also know it works because we've managed our family finances that way for nearly 20 years. When we honor God first with our money, He takes care of us. It's that simple. God is able to do more with 90% of our household income than we can do with 100% of it. He has proven Himself faithful over and over again in our family finances. So give 101080 a try. What have you got to lose? You might have everything to gain. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. When you look at your bank account, it may seem like you can't afford to tithe. The truth is, you can't afford not to. Hello, welcome to Something Good with Dr. Rod Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for tuning in. And today, Ron continues his series, His Money, Your Faith, by giving us an in-depth look at God's financial plan. What Ron calls the 10-10-80 plan. It's biblical, it's practical, and it's essential for your financial health and your spiritual health. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org, where you can hear any of Ron's messages on demand. Now, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, God's plan for your financial freedom. Now, it takes a huge step of faith to give to God first when you got a stack of bills over here. Now you say, well, how much? How much do we give? Well, that brings us to the next law or principle. I call this the law of the tenth or the tithe. Matthew, or Malachi chapter three and verse 10 says, bring the tithe, and a tithe is an apportionment, which means a tenth. Bring the tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. Again, Catherine would tell you way back when she was a tipper, not a tither. And we learned together the joy not only of giving, but of tithing and of taking that step of faith. Now, there's a lot of discussion you know, about tithing and is it an Old Testament thing or a New Testament thing? Let me just put some of this in perspective. When God wanted to teach his people, the chosen people of Israel, how to live generously, he gave them the law of tithing under the Mosaic law. But long before the law came under Moses, two guys in the Bible named Abraham and Jacob, not as a law, but as a lifestyle, 400 years before the law, they pledged to give a tenth of all that God had blessed them with. So before it was a law, it was a lifestyle. And then we move into the pages of the New Testament. There's not a lot of discussion about tithing, and we talk about grace giving. You know, let the grace of God inspire and motivate how you give and when you give and the amount you give. Well, doesn't it make sense that whatever grace giving is, it should at least start where the Old Testament started? I, I call tithing or a tenth the starting point in our giving. It's a floor, not a ceiling. And I'll be honest with you, Catherine and I, because we started our marriage and our finances this way, and we 
We started this way and then bought a house. We started this way and then bought cars and, and all that kind of stuff. We ordered our... It's easy for us to tithe today. It's easy for us to give God the first 10%. Where He's stretching us is to go beyond that because it's not a ceiling, it's a floor. Or it's, yeah, not a ceiling, a floor. And quite frankly, depending upon how much God has blessed you with, a tithe is way too small. I, I know business people I've met that say, they, they're going to do a reverse. We're going to give 90% and live off 10%. If God has blessed you that way, you don't need to feel guilty. Uh, just, just begin to soar beyond the minimum expression of generosity found in the Scriptures. There's nobody in the Bible who was considered generous that gave anything less than that basic apportionment that we know as a tithe. If you feel legalistic or, you know, some way constrained by that, fine, don't, don't give a tithe. Give 11% or 12% or 15%. Free yourself up from that. But grace giving, at least in my mind, doesn't go less than the basic standard. It goes beyond that and frees us up uh, to give generously. The third law or principle under this first statement of giving to God first is what I call the law of the harvest. Now listen to this. Proverbs 11 and verse 24, there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. Again, this has the farmer in mind who has a stash of seed, and the farmer understands that the seed doesn't do him any, any good if he just keeps it locked up in his barn. Now, if he wants a harvest one day, he's got to take the seed and scatter it out there. Not just a little bit of seed, but a lot of seed. If you want a big harvest... So there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. Or as the old limerick goes, there once was a man, some thought him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. It's true. It's, it's the way biblical economics works. It's the law of the harvest, of seed time and harvest. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6 says it this way. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Again, the farmer understands this, and he takes his bag of seed and he scatters it out there. Uh, it's an act of faith, faith in, in the laws and principles uh, that, that govern the physical, natural world in which we live. And he knows that a harvest will come. By the way, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6 is found in the largest section of Scripture in the New Testament that gives attention to our financial giving. It's where we get the principle of grace giving, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And so this, this particular verse about sowing and reaping is specifically in the context of our financial giving. Jesus said it this way, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The measure with which you give is the measure with which it will be returned to you. Now, I'm not a prosperity theologian. I'm not saying God is a cosmic you know, slot machine that if you, you know, put some in, you, you, know, you, you can name it and claim it kind of thing. I'm not talking about that. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. These are, these are biblical principles of economics that God has woven into, into his world. And if we're, if we're going to experience the financial freedom that I believe he wants us to experience, free of debt, free from the love of money, free to give generously, free to have fun, 
We order our finances with God as the CEO, as the, as the CFO, we might say, the chief financial officer. And we give to him first. Uh, we give as the first fruits principle, the law of the tenth, the law of the harvest. And we go on from there. Does it make sense? Say an amen or oh me, oh my, oh my. Listen, Catherine and I have done this for decades in good times and in bad times, in times when we weren't sure whether we could make ends meet. Yeah, there were times that we said, eh, you know, in the natural realm here, we can't afford to tithe. <laughs> and that's when we remembered that the Lord said, test me now in this. It's the only time in the Bible the Lord says, you put me to the test. You see, God's promises are yes and amen, friends. And he said to the ancient Israelites, you bring that tithe into the storehouse. You test me in this. If you don't have enough faith to trust him in this area of your finances, then put him to the test. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do this for 90 days and see if you show up. He says, you test me. And you watch me open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain. You say, well, I'll see it. I'll believe it when I see it. No, you got to believe it and then act upon it and then you'll see it. That verse of scripture in Malachi goes on to say, he will not only open up the windows of heaven, but he will rebuke the devourer. Is Satan just eating your lunch in some area of your life? Believe it or not, it might be tied to your giving. And if you, if you can't trust him, you know, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Okay, put him to the test, he says, and you just watch me work. And we've done this over and over and over again in our financial life. We aren't where we are today in a place of wonderful freedom uh, because I made a lot of money. Okay? It's because God has been true to his word and he's been faithful and he's taken care of us and he keeps stretching us in this area of giving. Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, God's Plan for Your Financial Freedom. Remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry or to order selected resources like the series you're hearing right now, His Money, Your Faith. Does your financial life need divine help? Has mayhem seized your money? Drawing from his knowledge of personal financial planning and God's Word, Dr. Ron Jones lays out this divine financial plan in his teaching series, His Money, Your Faith. The entire audio download of this series is yours today as our thank you when you give to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or you can mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Now here's Ron with the second half of today's Something Good Radio message, God's plan for your financial freedom. Give to God first. Secondly, pay yourself second. There's a reason why years ago the Wall Street Journal said that 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, you know, devouring everything they have. It's because they didn't learn you got to pay yourself. Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man or woman devours all he or she has. 
Joseph is the example in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, and through some hard experiences, he rose to be a, a prime minister in Egypt. And Joseph was in charge of Pharaoh's stuff. And God gave Joseph some insight on the future, that a famine was coming, a, a famine for seven years. And what did Joseph do? Uh, he stored up grain in Egypt for seven long years. It was a savings plan, a savings plan. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. He not only lives paycheck to paycheck, but he spends more than his paycheck delivers. That's called credit card debt. Years ago, the average American was spending $1.10 for every dollar they earned. And consumer debt, I mean, it's still, it's crazy. And that's why a lot of people, even church-going people, are in financial bondage. I believe there are three types of savings that we need to set up. Uh, one is an emergency fund. Dave Ramsey says, get a thousand bucks in the bank. Uh, some of you may be like the 41% of Americans that don't have $500 in the bank right now. And if something goes wrong, if life happens, if that rainy day comes, if the car breaks down, if the washer and dryer breaks down, or like I told you last week about that very foolish decision I made to buy my first car out of college, that BMW, and I got in this accident, and I had an auto insurance policy, but I didn't have $500 in the bank to pay the deductible to get it fixed. I had to call my dad who loaned me the money. You need an emergency fund because life happens. Years ago, the numbers were that uh, 70 to 80% of Americans will experience a significant financial setback in the amount of $10,000 or more over the next 10 years. Are you prepared for that? The rainy day is coming, you need a rainy day fund. And that needs to be liquid, it needs to be accessible, and needs to be set aside. Secondly are retirement savings. Now, you need to plan for the future. Uh, again, you have an eternal portfolio, you have an earthly portfolio. Now we're talking about the earthly portfolio, and there's plenty in the Bible that talks about us saving and planning and storing up for the future. The average American today, as they approach those retirement years, you know, has less than $1,000 in the bank. The, 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 the percentages are staggering. And the only thing they have is social insecurity and maybe a, a few generous friends or family members because they didn't have a plan or their plan, they didn't start early enough. Now, you know, when it comes to retirement, you won't find the word retirement in the Bible. Uh, I kind of like what... Um, uh, Ken Blanchard said, the one-minute manager guy, he says, I'm not going to retire, I'm going to refire, <laughs> all right? And I've always kind of jokingly said, I hope when the Lord takes me, I'm doing what I'm doing right now, and my jaw hits the platform, and I'm gone, you know? I mean, I just can't imagine the day when you know, I work, I'm done, and I just go chase a ball around a goat ranch somewhere or watch Dr. Phil all day long. I want to be engaged and productive all the days of my life, but I know that I'll reach a time when my maximum earning years have kind of come to an end, and we all do, and you have to plan for that. Americans are living longer today than they did before. Social Security was put in place at a time where the average American didn't live much past 65 years of age. Now we're living into our 70s, our 80s. If you don't have a plan, you are planning to fail and to run out of money. Does your company have a 401k plan? 
If it does, you need to fill it to its max. Give to God first, the first 10%, second 10%, after you establish your retirement savings, needs to go in that retirement plan. And if there's a matching program, oh my, that's free money. Grab it and go. And the way to build wealth biblically is not through get-rich-quick schemes. The way to build wealth biblically is little by little over a long period of time. Compound interest in time is your best friend. So young people, you're finishing college, you get your first job. I know 40 years from now seems so far away. Start yesterday. Because you build little by little over a long period of time. Don't ever cash out that retirement plan. Dumbest thing you could ever do. You're going to pay a penalty, plus the government's going to take 30, 40, 50% of it, and you're going to be left with 50 cents on the dollar. Emergency savings, retirement savings. Third one is college savings. I don't have time to talk about all this. I, we got two kids in college right now. Oh, my. But we are committed that our kids do not graduate with a degree in debt. And they won't. But a lot of kids are. And for that reason, the government is telling us, major purchases like your first house are being delayed in the younger generation because they have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in college loan debt. Don't get me started on all that, but anyway. So those are the three categories of savings. Give to God first, you pay yourself second, and then you live off the rest. And that's where a whole lot of categorizing of expenses comes into play, and I don't have time to go into that. But real simple, you give, you save, you live. That's a divine financial plan. I learned a long time ago, I, I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to building wealth and finances. I know a few things, but God knows a whole lot more than I do. And I, I, I want to live the blessed life. I want to be financially free. I want to do it his way. And as he continues to stretch our faith in the, in the first part of this, he, he just continues to give back in ways and take care of us in ways that we'd never quite imagine. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, an evangelist and a pastor, he says, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And some people have taken that and they say, yeah, I'm going to make all I can, can all I get, and sit on the lid. And I say, how's that working for you? You want God's blessing on your finances, do it His way. If you don't have enough faith to trust Him in this, hey, put Him to the test. He doesn't want something from you. He owns everything. Remember last week? We established that. It's already His. But He wants us to take a financial step of faith uh, to, to unshackle ourselves from the love of money and from the slavery of consumerism and debt and all of that. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good message, God's plan for your financial freedom. And Ron, I'm sure some are listening today who struggle every month to pay their bills. Single mothers, 
young couples just starting out, even those who are a little older and have hit a bump in the financial road. If they came to you and said, I can't afford to tithe, how would you respond? Well, Brian, the first thing I'd say is that you can't afford not to give. If you want God's blessing on your finances, then put God first in your finances. And you can't say he's first in your life when he's last in your budget. It just doesn't work that way. Now, I understand where where people are coming from. Financial stress is no joke. It's a real problem for millions of people, and it needs to be taken seriously. This isn't a Nike commercial. I'd never say just do it without explaining God's plan for our financial freedom, which I tried to do in this message. But what this comes down to is a matter of trust. Do you trust God? At the end of the day, this is what our lives are all about, trusting Him, putting our faith in Him. He's promised that if we'll seek Him first, His kingdom, our needs will be met, food, clothing, shelter, and so forth. And He's also promised that when we seek Him first in our finances, He'll do so much more than just meet our needs. He'll bless us beyond measure. Now, that's His promise. That's His word. And fear, well, the fear of not having enough money, for example, that kind of fear always competes with faith. Fear can actually keep us from believing the promises of God enough to step out in financial faith. But what we find in Scripture is that God has never asked us to do anything that will do us harm, not a single time. Our lives are much, much better and filled with greater joy when we do the things God has asked us to do. When we love one another, when we're faithful in our marriages, when we train our children according to God's principles, we are blessed far more than we otherwise might have been. And the same is true with our finances. He has made a promise to anyone who follows his financial plan that he will bless beyond measure anyone who gives to God first. So even those who look at the numbers in their checkbook and say, you know, tithing is is impossible, I would say step out in faith and tithe anyway, because if you do, God will honor his promise. Uh, Friend, I've seen this plan in action in my own life and in the lives of countless others that I've had the privilege of meeting and shepherding as a pastor for many, many years. God's financial plan, his divine financial plan works. The question is, are you going to walk by sight and keep getting what you've always been getting, or will you walk by faith and start getting all God wants to give to you? Now, to be clear, this is not a get-rich-quick plan, but I can assure you, based on the promise in God's Word, that when we give to God first, when we seek first His kingdom in our lives and in our finances, God will meet and many times exceed our needs. So I challenge you to start giving to God first and do it right now. Regarding the giving of a tithe or 10%, hey, the Lord Himself says, if you can't trust me, then put me to the test and see if I won't open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing. I can only imagine the great testimonies that will come out of that. If you're listening today and you take Ron's challenge, we'd love to hear from you three months from now. Tell us how God blessed you. Tell us how he made it work. We'd love to hear your stories. Contact us anytime from our website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org, where you can hear any of Ron's messages or make a safe and secure donation. Ron, as we wrap things up here on this Friday edition of Something Good Radio, tell us where you're headed next as you continue your teaching series, His Money, Your Faith. Well, Brian, the Bible tells us that the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And it's true. Debt makes you a prisoner of your past, and it also presumes upon your future. 
And when we're so preoccupied with working to pay off our debt, we rob ourselves of the time we need to serve God and, and to serve our families. The debt can stress a marriage, and the solution to that debt, which is often working a second job, for example, that solution adds even more stress to the marriage. But God has a better plan for us. In the book of Deuteronomy, God had an economy that he set up for the people, and he told the nation of Israel, if you follow my ways, you will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. God wanted his people to be a creditor nation, not a debtor nation. And I think he wants the same for us as individuals. How can we put ourselves in that kind of position? We'll get into some of the details tomorrow as we move ahead in our series, His Money, Your Faith, and we talk about a divine financial plan. Thanks, Ron. It all comes your way Monday when Dr. Ron continues his teaching series, His Money, Your Faith. Now for Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend.